Okay, then. Welcome to the Teddy Talk Podcast. I am Teddy Tannenbaum. Super excited about today's episode. It's with Dr. Dan Harrison, creator of the Harrison Assessment. If you've been a client of mine any time in the last 20 years, you will have heard of Dan Harrison. Most likely completed the preference inventory he designed and listened to me bend your ear about it. After studying in India in my 20s and traveling in China and Japan in my 30s, I was well aware of the concept of yin-yang theory, the completion of opposites. When I met Dan, he introduced me to the Western version of this known as paradox theory and how it applied to business. Captured my imagination then, still does today. Dan, who lives much of the time in the rainforest around Chiang Mai in northern Thailand, was in LA recently, accepted my invite to have a chat about his global work around employee engagement and leadership and self-awareness. So fun. Hello, everyone. This is Teddy Tannenbaum with another edition of the Teddy Talk podcast. Our theme is meetings with remarkable people, lessons in leadership and life. Today, it's my great pleasure to have with us Dr. Dan Harrison, both a colleague and a mentor of mine, long time. Uh, Dr. Harrison, in addition to being a wonderful and generous human being, is the creator, inventor of the Harrison Assessment, a leadership assessment preference inventory. There are few people I've met over the years who have an understanding of both the constructs and the nuance of leadership as Dr. Harrison. So welcome, Dan, and thanks again for being part of the Teddy Talk podcast. Thank you. All right. Uh, this is super exciting for me. I, uh, I met Dan 19 years ago uh, and was introduced to the Harrison Assessment, and I've been using it in my coaching and consulting practice for these many years. So it's a great thrill to, uh, to have you here and talk about this. I thought we'd start to let our listeners uh, get a sense of kind of your background, uh, education, and kind of what brought you to getting involved in this leadership field. Uh, well, um, originally I studied mathematics and um, had a knack for it and started going into university. Didn't know what I wanted to do. So I'm taking classes in university. I'm getting higher and higher in the mathematical realm and uh, starting sitting in classes and pretty much all boys in the class and, and uh, uh, very introverted guys in the class. And I'm thinking, I don't belong here. <laughs> so, so, and there's no girls. Right. <laughs> and there's a problem. Right. You know? uh, so, um, so I... You know, I was really interested at the time, actually, in psychology as well, and um, started developing that interest, uh, particularly got keen on the idea of, when I first got introduced to psychology, I got introduced to the defense mechanism and t you know, talked to my professor about it, and my, some of my first questions, well, if this stuff works, it should really be able to evolve humanity. And, uh, you know, it should be the key to, you know, uh, evolving society and having people, you know, become more advanced right. beings. And uh, he said, yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking you might just be a little bit naive in that, but 
let's give it right. a shot. So I said, yeah, but that's my idea. That's what I think it should do. So whatever you do in psychology should be really about evolution, uh, the evolution of the human being. Right. Yeah. Wow. So in your mathematical world, uh, were you teaching math? No. No, you were just teaching, studying. Just studying. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But you, you never turned it into a, a full-time profession. No, never did that. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it, to me, it was like, uh, I mean, math is a tool. Right. And it was always like, what am I going to use this tool for, for? My father was an engineer. He did some of the um, <clears throat> stuff that went to the uh, uh, moon landing and stuff, some of the antennas and uh, filters and, and uh and I, I always, I looked at what he did and I just thought, it's great. I'm really happy he did it, but I, I don't want to do it. Right. I have no interest at all <laughs> what he's doing. And, uh, you know, I, I just don't want to shoot rockets and things like that. So I better think about something, something else. else. <laughs> so so, uh, so you, had a, you had an advanced degree in mathematics. Yeah, even I, I, I didn't. I, I just got partially through a degree and just said, uh, I, I think I better switch. Okay. Yeah. So then you switched to psychology. <laughs> I did, yeah. All right. Yeah. And, and uh, what was the focus of your psychology study? Um, well, I, I, I dabbled a bit in different things. I, I enjoyed uh, counseling psychology, uh-huh. and uh, you know, I took some uh, classes in Chinese philosophy and was real keen on that. And uh, um, Five-element theory. Yeah, yeah, different, yeah, different philosophies, and uh, uh, but mostly was interested in how do people grow, how do they develop, uh, how do they change. Yeah. So, the uh, what I used to refer to as the psychology of man's possible evolution. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> <laughs> We're still waiting to see how that that turns out, aren't we? Um, but I, I think it's it's uh, occurring, yeah. and. Uh, I think it, but it's really a matter of identifying well, what is it, you know, what is it that, that makes people evolve and what is evolution? Right. Where is it going? Right. Uh, and even though it may not be fast, <laughs> you can first need to understand what are the factors right. that are, are involved. Right. So, so, and so it was that study that led you to, to, uh, create this, this, uh, assessment, this preference. Well, it helped a lot. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Tell me what was what was the process? What what inspired you to say, "Hey, I can I can take this interest I have and turn it into this project." Well, I did a lot of work previously with uh, pe- people's personal growth and development, how how they uh, evolve their consciousness, how they um, improve their relationships, how they improve their he- health is another one, um, and. I I worked a lot on a one-by-one basis with people, and I started to feel, and I did some seminars with, and, and things like that and retreats, and I felt like, um, yeah, it's great. I like it. I, I love doing it, and but I wanted to do something that was had a bigger impact um, that was much more than that. And so I, I started looking at leadership and things like that because leaders have more impact. impact right. Um, and looking at what what they did and how organizations worked, and st- started uh, doing some study and work in organizational psychology, uh-huh. um, because in organizations you see the real thing. Um, in personal development, it's it's 
can be pretty airy-fairy and pretty much how do you know where the person evolved or did better or is more capable? But in organizations, you have a better window to see it. Yeah, it plays, uh, it plays out do. in public. Yeah, it plays in public, right. and you can see the relationships that they have, and you can see the uh, impact that they have, and you can see the part of themselves that they don't see but other people see. Um, so, yeah, it, that became the real interest. And, and it also it's like, how do you grow a culture? How do you develop a culture? Right. Um, so because we're so influenced by our own cultures, so, so that that became my uh, intention and uh, idea. Yeah. Uh, so I let I let go of a lot of the one to one work. Uh huh. So in order to in order to have a more global impact, right, to reach more people, right, and, and it sounds like also for potential transformation, right, We're, correct, right, correct. So uh, this idea of an assessment that 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 delves into all this stuff—that's <laughs> pretty wild idea. Well, I looked around at assessments, and I, I, I thought two things. One, I thought they don't work very well uh, with personality assessments. They're just too superficial. Right. And, um, and they're not really based on evolutionary factors. Uh, they're not really based on factors that you know really define a person's growth or evolution or development. They're more static. They're more static, yeah. and oftentimes there's the premise that people don't change, right. when obviously people do change. <laughs> they grow from five years old to six years old, and right. you know they they there's a lot of change right. that goes on. Uh, we can call it maturity or whatever, but over a lifetime, there's a change in consciousness. People get better at relationships right. with other people, um, um, so you can see there's change happening, yeah. and there's there's development happening. Um, so that idea of there's no such change simply means you're not looking at it closely enough. You're looking at something very broad, something very general. And because it's so general, it looks like it's not changing. It's kind of like looking at the stars, right? right? <laughs> it looks like the stars don't change, but they do. All the time. All the time, right? right? There, there's something, there's, you know, when, when you grow up, at least in our culture, you grow up and there's always that place in the somewhere in the house where you stand against a wall and someone puts a mark on the wall and a pencil right. of your height at that age. Right. And then you see what next year, what does that what look like? What the heck? Wow. <laughs> I didn't see me growing. Right. <laughs> couldn't hardly, I was living in that body. I couldn't tell. Yeah. But, it, but uh, psychologically, same thing happens. Right. There's, we there, grow, but we don't really notice yeah. what, what's happening. Yeah. And even from our research, we discover that people become more balanced over a period of time. Uh -huh. What we call the paradoxes become more balanced yeah. uh, in the person uh, as they get older. Uh, and it's called maturity. Maturity. <laughs> and uh, some, some of us go kicking and screaming towards that, and some of us are willingly diving right in. <laughs> uh, I'm curious, uh, in terms of the paradox, and, and there's, I know there's a couple of different premises behind the assessment. So one was uh, this idea of enjoyment slash performance theory, and the other is the paradox theory. Let's spend some time talking about those. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little about the enjoyment performance theory and how you came to identify that. Well, uh, one thing I always felt is that when people do something that they love doing, 
it's just healthy. It's just good for them. And, it, you know, it changes their spirit. It changes what their whole feeling of life. It helps their health. Um, it's just a really positive thing. Right. Um, and incidentally, they perform better in a company or a job when they do something that they like doing. So that was a real premise that I had that, hey, you got to get people in doing something that they, they enjoy, that they really like. And um, so that was the basis right. of and, that And there, there's some research around that. Uh, I'm trying to recall exactly what it was around 75% uh, of a of, uh, person's happiness if they're doing things they like. Do you, do you, uh... Yeah, well, what we discovered is that you have to enjoy about 75% of your job uh, in order to keep going well and probably be recognized as having any success. Right. <laughs> and, and expertise, yes. right? Yeah. So it leaves that 25% where you can just be, you know, have to deal with something yeah, you don't particularly care you know, for. Suck it up and right. do it, right? Because you got to get it done and, you know, we need it. So get off it and right. we don't care if you like it, you know. But if you like 75%, that's good enough. That's good enough. <laughs> right. There's, uh, you know, both of us work in organizations, you know, uh, majority of our, our professional life. And I notice all the time, you know, you can see who's happy and who's not, mm. right? When you dig a little deeper, you realize that, yeah, I, I like what I do. Right. If I like what I do, I'm going to be I'm going to be pretty good at it because I'm invested in it. Right. It's right. not work. Right. It's not it, work. It, and it and it pulls in the whole discretionary effort. So, you know, we talk about engagement in organizations and people right. are engaged or not. Why are they engaged? Because they like what they're doing. Right. There's nothing complicated about it. And uh, you know, people make it uh, much too complicated, much too difficult. You know, if you like what you're doing, you're going to be engaged. You know, right. you're not going to worry. Oh my God, it's five o'clock. Let me get out of here. You know, <laughs> why? <laughs> you're, I'm having a good time. <laughs> right. It is. It is. It is tough when you see people in organizations who are not happy, don't enjoy what they're doing, and they can become clock watchers. Mm. It's difficult. It's difficult for them. And it's difficult for all the people around them. Right. Right. It's like, right. and the organization doesn't get helped either. Right. Right. So, so part of the premise of the, of the assessment is to get a sense of where your greatest enjoyment lies right. as a predictor of where your highest performance right. will be. And it's very different for different people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I remember, uh, I've taken the assessment a few times over the years. The first time I took it and I got the results and they were interpreted for me and got some feedback. And I looked at something and I thought, man, my clients never see this. My friends rarely see this. My wife sees this all the time. Uh -huh. right? I thought, this is pretty interesting, right? That, that captured my imagination. How did it know that, right? Mm. So there was some subtlety there which really piqued my interest. Mm. And then I explored that the other aspect of the, uh, the premise of paradox theory. So right. that was, I had, you know, having studied in the East myself, I was familiar with yin-yang theory, mm -hmm. the idea of, of completion of opposites, but I had never seen it applied to business before. And that's what really captured my imagination with the assessment. Mm -hmm. Can you speak a little bit to uh, paradox theory and how you developed that? Well, if you follow the same lines of evolution, you know, you have to ask yourself, what are the key factors? How do you know you're maturing or evolving or growing? What does it look like? Right. And there's, you know, numerous key factors related to that. 
for example, one key factor is uh, people begin to think more independently. And they think um, in terms of truth. So in our culture, we're very influenced by um, what other people think. And we're very influenced by what other people believe because we want to fit in. And we want people to love us. And so we tend to believe what they believe. And we don't want to get too far out of step with what other people believe or what other people think because then we're you know, not part of the group anymore. Yeah, rogue um, behavior. Yeah, and the problem is is that the group consciousness isn't necessarily very high. And so so they may not see things. In other words, you, you tend to become more average, right? And what we're looking for is evolution or becoming, you know, more extraordinary right. uh, beings. And so... The drag on that is this feeling of, okay, I've got to fit in. So what happens when people grow or, or they evolve, they become less needy to fit in with other people's ideas or the culture or the beliefs or whatever. And at the same time, they start looking at beliefs and things as um, stepping stones. Mm -hmm. rather than a fixed thing that I want to hold on to that I need to feel uh, com comfortable with. And so they become truth explorers. Uh, and so they explore the truth. And, it's, and, and in business, it's an obvious thing. Um, you can, as a leader, you can hook on to something and, and try to look good and try to look confident, try to look like you know what you're doing, <laughs> Or, Fake it till you make it. Or you can take a different approach and say, well, let's find out and let's explore and let's, you know, find something until we, in, until we keep going. And, okay, you don't look so magnificent, but the fact is you do better, right. uh, even in the organization, and the organization does better. Um, and so, and the other way that people deal with it, the opposite way that people deal with it is, well, I don't know, and I don't want to say anything, and I don't want to present any of my ideas because, well, people might not like it, right? Yeah, and, well, might judge and, me and, negatively. And I look good, right? So that's the opposite side of it. So, you know, part of it is okay, looking at things, exploring things, looking at new ideas, being willing to take on different perspectives and learn from those perspectives, and. Uh, grow in consciousness essentially and um, that's uh, that's what a leader should do <laughs> right. Right? right because where are they leading you otherwise yeah right uh, they're leading you down a path that may not be that truthful or may not be that clear right, right? it may it may be subject to their own biases right right that if they're not not willing to explore better points of view more enlightened points of view, then they tend to get stuck and be fairly narrow-minded in their own right. point of view. Right. And if, if we understand psychology, we know that people are very emotional beings. Yeah. Right? They want to grab onto things and hold things and hold views. And, and you know, in our education, we're trained to be logical and all, all those things. But the reality is what's going on underneath is very emotional beings. Right. Uh, and that's how they operate. Instead of really looking for the truth and objectivity uh, in different issues or in relationships for, for that matter as well. Um, 
you know, relationship is is not an easy thing. You have to really be objective, even in marriage, right? You have to be objective right. and, and, you know, look for the truth in different things and explore things. And that's how you work out relationships. Um, so as a leader, that's one of the key things that you have to do is work out relationships. Yeah. And be willing to, to work out those relationships. You have to be willing to explore those opposing points of view. Right. 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 So let's a little bit more on the paradox some of the other key paradoxes from the uh, from the work that you do, especially in regards to leadership, some of the things that you've observed over the many years you've been doing this, uh, and how those different factors of the paradoxes show up, and then we'll talk a little about also the uh, those flips, mm-hmm. right when when the shadow syndrome kicks in. Right. Well, I mean, one of the things you have to do as a leader uh, in in an organization is you have to inspire people to grow and develop and you have to hold them accountable as well for what they do uh, because organizations are about getting results and it's a big challenge for many people to do that Um, first of all the inspiration part (laughs) is one part but the 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 other part is okay they have you have to hold people accountable and say okay this is the results so you have to be willing to not be the good guy Right. all the time and you have to be willing to have people not like you um and various things like that right. uh, that's tough for some people they that who, who want to be very they want to be liked they want to they want to please others right right and on the other hand you can't go be the scary guy that you know intimidates others and all that stuff because that doesn't work either right um so it's the paradox of okay having relationship building the relationship keeping the relationship but at the same time holding other people accountable uh for what they do and that's a really big challenge to yeah. do that mm-hmm. yeah it goes back to also the idea of of our beliefs affect our behaviors right if you believe that well if i'm a nice guy or a nice gal then i'll get better results that way then you're going to go out of your way to be perceived as someone who's really nice. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to be pretty disappointed when you don't, when people don't <laughs> respond in kind. Right. It's yeah. one of the things I've seen is that, uh, especially in regards to, to feedback and accountability, when I've worked with teams, people are really interested in getting feedback. Mm. If they, especially if they, they, they want to improve, they want to get better. Right. Give me some feedback. But when it's their turn to give feedback, they're quite hesitant right. because they don't want to offend others. Right, right. And that presents a challenge. Right. And that, that ties into another paradox, which is on the one side, uh, being respectful and diplomatic and tactful in your communications right. ever in relationship to being frank and direct in yeah. your communications. So you to communicate well, you have to do both. So... Uh, if you do both, then communication flows a lot better. But none of these paradoxes are, are something that's just done and you do it once. It's, they're, they're all a process of living, getting better at it, right. tuning your emotions, tuning your, your relationships with other people. And that's, it's, it's always a process. Um, so there's not, okay, you've any, 
feeling of okay, you've arrived. Right. Uh, I've handled the paradox, right? <laughs> so you know, I got this one down. Yeah. Um, no, it, there are certainly different levels of ability that yeah. people have related to each of the paradoxes, but um, it's it's an evolving, growing yeah. thing. So it's it's it really uh, speaks to the, they're much more dynamic than they are static. Correct. Right. So if you if you get feedback from a, from an assessment like this and and it says that you are uh, somewhat imbalanced let's say you are you know moderately frank forthright and direct in how you communicate and you are somewhat exceedingly diplomatic and tactful it uh-huh. it, it, it generally you know that's a snapshot in time mm-hmm. on one hand uh but because we're evolving humans right and and that's the part of the psychology behind it if you don't work at it you will either stay there or you will even recede into further to your to to extremes right so it takes some effort to say okay how do i how do i get more balance how do i be a more productive communicator right Right. so how does someone do that well first of all i have to be conscious of what the paradox is Uh to start with they have to understand that the value of doing both and the the impact of and and unintended unintended consequences of not doing it. Right. So, for example, you have the unintended consequences of of being uh, evasive or you know being very strong in diplomacy and weak in frankness. Is that other people don't get it? Uh, other people don't understand what you're trying to say. They don't follow it. Uh, they don't respond. Um, yeah. You know, various things like that. People don't know what to do. Um, you know, relationships don't grow and evolve because you don't allow them to yeah. by being straightforward. And then if you're imbalanced the other way, then you're also hindering the relationship. You're hindering the process by, by you know, upsetting people all the time, by being right. blunt. Yeah. And so you, it goes hand in hand with being conscious of what you're doing. But the first thing you need to have is something that tells you what to be conscious of. And the mistake, in my view, of what psychology has done all along is to take a single direction and say, okay, this is how people should be. So they say, okay, you should be assertive, you should be more assertive, or you should be more truthful, more direct, or you you should like yourself more. And none of that is very successful. And the reason it's not successful is because development is bi-directional. Okay. Evolution is bi-directional. It, it's all about balance and a, a, achieving the paradox, uh, the very paradoxes of life. So you can't grow in a single direction because anytime you think of a direction, it can be your greatest weakness. And one of the problems is that people's, what they think is their strengths, it may be their strong traits, but they're often their greatest weaknesses because they look at it in a, in, in a different way. So the person who tends to be blunt will say, I'm a truth sayer. I tell people the truth, right? And, you know, I... No sugarcoating. Yeah, no sugarcoating from me. And I tell it like it is. And that's their esteem that they hold on it. That's how they feel they're right. Um, But what they don't see is the impact that that has on other people. And they don't have the other part of themselves that's developed 
enough to really look and see, well, how do I say things that are respectful and, you know, really value other people's self-esteem and, you know, create this relationship that's a stronger relationship and based on a mutual respect. Um, yeah. It's, it is, in a sense, if the culture is, is quite prescriptive, you should be this way, you should be more this way, you should be less this way, and we're directed as grew up to, to do that, it's going to lend itself to, a, a, to an inefficiency, right? To an imbalance. Right. So what you're saying is, no, you've got you to have a snapshot to see how you're perceived right. and be willing to, to look at that and say, Ashraf, is there a value in being more balanced here? Mm-hmm. Am I willing to confront the idea that that you know I say it like it is? I'm not sugarcoating it. I'm mm-hmm. being truthful. Is there is there a willingness to look at that and go, huh? This might have an adverse impact on the people I interact with. Right. Well, if if you tell people who are blunt not to be blunt, <laughs> you should stop being blunt. They'll say, well, what do you want me to do? Lie? Right. And or they'll just shut up. That's right. the other thing. I can lie or I can shut up. Right. But it, the problem is they don't have the other skill right. development. So it's a matter of looking at the, uh, the, the skill which makes that truthfulness a positive thing. Because as soon as they develop that other skill, that truthfulness becomes a positive thing. It becomes a great asset to the person. Right. But it's not an asset unless they have the balancing factor for it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the some of the clients I've worked with over the years, because of the way we grew up, especially in the West, we think these things are like on a pulley instead of being mutually exclusive. So I think, well, if I'm quite frank, forthright, and direct, and I believe that's a good thing, and I lack some diplomacy because I don't want to sugarcoat things, and you tell me you need to be more diplomatic so you can have balanced efficiency, my mind tells me, well, if I increase my diplomacy, my frankness will go down, and I depend on my frankness, mm-hmm. when actually, in fact... Paradox theory is that both can coexist. Right. So what, one of the most important things to really get a person to grow is to understand the price that they're paying by the unintended consequences that are right. occurring. And sometimes that's polling other people and you know understanding, getting feedback from other people. Uh, or sometimes that's just contemplating it themselves to see, well, what's, what is the price, you know? Right. Uh, I'm imbalanced, and, and how how is that screwing me up? Right, right. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I uh, I'm thinking about a, a number of clients over the years who were in the in the uh, one of the paradoxes that you you brought to bear was the uh, delegation paradox around authoritativeness and collaborative. So authoritative being obviously willing to make decisions and accountability. Collaborative is including other people. And I've worked with people who are, you know, quite authoritative and they lack some collaborativeness. And they think that's normal because that's how they that's how they are. <clears throat> so then we do a 360 feedback for them, where we get input from people in their 360 degree of their of their purview of their world. And it comes back, you know, you're not very collaborative. Mm-hmm. So here they here their assessment, which they filled out, says, well, I'm not very collaborative. And now they get the validation from others. They right. go, okay, maybe this is worth exploring. Right. So it's always interesting to get that kind of interaction going yes. and, and pull the veil back. And the problem is when you're a leader, nobody wants to give you bad news. Yeah. Because they yeah. don't want their head chopped off. That's right. Right. So, <laughs> so. 
cer- certain leaders are like that. They, you know, they, they want to position themselves as leaders. Well, even if you're not going to chop their heads off, they're still worried. <laughs> yeah. Who, who wants to say the emperor has no clothes? Yeah. My, my, uh, one of my friends, you know, who was really high uh, self-acceptance and low self-improvement, I told him, well, you know, this often be perceived as being defensive. And he says, I've never heard anybody complain. <laughs> uh, human beings, you know. <laughs> we are, uh, I remember uh, one, of my, uh, one of my teachers years ago said, you know, people talk about the missing link between, you know, ape and man. And, and he says, no, man is the missing link between humans and the possibility of what we can be. Right, <laughs> right? exactly. Well, another p- really interesting paradox is the, what I call the self-paradox, right. and that's the self-acceptance as related to self-improvement. And, um, you know, psychologists have always told people, okay, you just like yourself, you know, love yourself the way, and all that stuff. But it, it's... It doesn't work well because oftentimes people will flip into being arrogant as a result of that, and uh, that that's a problem in itself. Yeah. Um, it you know in our world people have this sort of sense of um, they look around and they see who they're better than, right. and who they're worse than, and when they see people who they feel they're better than. They get a, it feels good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got that one. I'm, feel, I'm a notch above that one. To feel better than, right? And then when they feel people, see people they feel worse than or less than, they feel bad. <laughs> they feel bad about themselves, right? right? And this is a, an evolutionary issue because in truth, if you feel, see somebody who's better or does better than you, you should be inspired by them, Right? And if you see someone who you feel does worse than you or less than you, you should be supportive of them, right? I mean, that's the healthy way right. to look at it. Um, it's not a matter of, uh, of who's better, who's worse. And the human consciousness is very stuck in this um, paradox, this imbalance of the paradox and, you know, concern about you're not good enough right. and better than and compare to other people. And in truth, the, the evolution is when this stuff starts to disappear yeah. and you start to just feel, okay, um, I, I, I'm, I don't need to compare myself with other people. And if I do, I'll compare it in a good way. <laughs> It's like, God, that guy is so good at what he does. I wish I knew how to do that. I wish I could do that too, you know, and that would be wonderful. And I'd like to learn from him. I really love it that he's so good, right? right? Right. And this guy's really struggling down here. I feel so bad for him really struggling, you know. How can I support him? And I take it as an example, if he's got bad behavior or whatever, I take it as an example of, I shouldn't be that way also. And I should really, you know, look at myself to see if maybe I'm that way sometimes, sometimes. too. Yeah. Right? Um, and it's a very different uh, yeah. mentality. There, yeah. There's the nature of, of the world is one of it, duality. So we go into, oh, this is good and that's bad. 
mm. this is right, that must be wrong. Right. And it's just, it's just, you know, it's a downward spiral. I know in, uh, you know, we've had conversations about baseball before. You're a former baseball player. I try to be a current baseball player. I always love playing with players who are better than me. Yes. How am I going to get better unless I unless I compete with players right. who are better than me? Right. 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 And there are some there are some guys who when I play with, I'm a better player when I'm on the field with them because they raise the game for everybody. Right. Just their focus, their attention, their skill level. Mm. My game gets uplifted because of that. Right. I want to play with those guys. Right. 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 Same way in business. Right. I want to be part of a winning team. Right. Right. If someone's bringing the team down because of their imbalances. I go, well, I don't, I'm not sure I want to be on that team. Mm. And then I think, well, how can I influence that? Mm. Right? To, to have everyone right. you know, raise the bar, as it were. Right. Uh, I want to talk about a couple of other paradoxes. The, the persistent, uh, I think it's the innovation paradox. Mm. Uh, relation between uh, persistence. You know, when you face significant challenges... And experimentation, which is kind mm. of the progressive out of the box thinking. Mm. Can you speak to just how you evolved that, how that came into being? Well, I mean, as I started doing work, you know, more work on myself and doing meditation and various different things, I started having a lot of creative ideas. Um, and when I put my attention on something, I would start having this flow of creative ideas and right. being able to see that thing more clearly. And, but if I didn't keep my attention on it, my creative ideas wouldn't come. Uh. <laughs> right. So, uh, part of doing something or being innovative, we say be innovative. Well, you have to have a focus of attention you have to have to stick with it to keep your mind on that to keep your thought on that and persist on that until you start to break through and truly understand it and truly see the issues around it and from my view that's what innovation is um it's this combination of focus or persistence with allowing your mind to be free enough to take different thoughts, different ideas, and be, be open to something new about that thing that right. you don't know, which, which ties into the first one I was talking about of I, I, know, I don't know is being open to explore, right? right? So that, with those two things together, you start to really have a deeper innovation because in modern life, things are pretty complex, Yes, right? And there's no, you know, rigid thing about it. And even in organizations, we look at something and we, we explore, we try something, we put a structure in place. And if we hold our mind on that and say, mm, okay, is that the right thing? Is it, is it the best thing? And maybe I tweak it this way or tweak it that way, you know, then you're evolving something. Whereas if you just say, okay, this is the way it is, we're going with it, we don't change anything, we don't adjust anything, then there's no innovation happening. Right. Right. So to me, innovation is, is not you know, just inventing things. It's a, just a constant process of right. life and evolving the quality of, of whatever it is that you're doing. Yeah. I have this image as you talk about it that of uh, here's this baseline of this creative thought process, and then 
if you try to manifest that, you may run into some obstacles. So then your persistence comes in to have to stick to it. Mm -hmm. And that allows you to then say, okay, what's the next level of, of experimentation? Right. And, and then when I meet challenges there, do I stick, do I work right. my way through those things? Right. And I see this kind of evolutionary building until I have this balanced efficiency around those two right. things. And if you think about it, that's how inventions happen. Yes. You know, somebody starts looking at a subject, an issue, and saying, okay, I would like to try to, you know, do something with this, I build an airplane or, you know, uh, you know, create an energy generator or, generator or whatever, a battery, and it evolves over time, doesn't it? And, but that's only because somebody has their attention on it, really exploring the details of it, trying new things, trying, you know, different options and approaches. Yeah. And continually doing that persisting with that until it evolves right. and that that's what invention or innovation is about i love it yeah. you know uh for those uh, not familiar with the actual instrument uh each of these paradoxes dr harrison has created a kind of a proverb to encapsulate the balanced efficiency of the yin and yang traits and i just find them just Fa provocative and fascinating for the for the innovation paradox for example i think it's someone who is a tenacious inventor who has a balance between persistence and creativity believes that one of the keys to success is to have focused determination while letting your imagination run wild mm. i'm so curious how i know you've studied in the east as well but how you came upon these par these uh, proverbs or I, I call them proverbs these these different quotes and sayings that capture those balances. Um, I I just stumbled on them. <laughs> <laughs> Even better. <laughs> uh, it's really a matter of contemplating the issue myself and exploring those issues, exploring those paradoxes, yeah. and really, uh, you know, looking at what it is, um, and and. You know, they slowly just, getting it. They yeah. just kind of evolved <laughs> yes. for you. Yeah, I love it. I, I have uh, in my work, especially in my coaching work, people are, you know, coaching is to understand your present situation in order to set the stage for future improved performance. And it inevitably involves behavior change, right? So there's first, this is a willingness to change behavior because the behavior that I'm exhibiting is perhaps not getting me what I want. Mm-hmm. So clarity on what you want, and then how do what behaviors are helping me get there, what behaviors are hindering. So when I work with people on behavior change, it's not as simple as you were saying earlier. You know, you should you should be you should like yourself more. Right. It doesn't really help. It doesn't help, <laughs> right? I'm gonna pat yeah. myself, <laughs> pat myself know? on the back, pat myself on the chest. <laughs> yeah. You know, oh, you good boy, <laughs> right? <laughs> or or you should be more persistent. I'm going to try harder, but you know, it, it's you, uh, you can't, you, you can't, right? right? So there, there's there has to be some kind of a, a process to change behavior. In, in my world, what I observe is that it starts with understanding the belief that created that behavior. Yes. And when I look at the, at the assessment and all the information contained therein, there are beliefs underlying those balanced efficiencies, mm. like the belief that one of the keys to success is to have focused determination and let your imagination run wild. And that's a belief that not everybody has. So that becomes something that's aspirational for folks. Say, okay, I want to aspire to that belief. Mm. If I can have that belief, then my behavior will change. Mm. Right? Same thing with with the idea of how we hold the future or optimism and how we consider what the 
adverse impact of those plans or strategies yep. are. Hope for the best, prepare for the worst. Right. <laughs> what was it, Mel Brooks' line? You know, uh, hope for the best, prepare for the worst. Life's a play, we're unrehearsed. Right. Right. <laughs> That's here. Here we are. So, how do you? How do you? Uh, how do you challenge those beliefs to say? You know, I remember speaking with someone once about they were they were a naysayer. They were very good at being a naysayer. Right. If you if you see them in a in a group process and someone presents an idea, they could tell you five ways till Sunday why this idea stinks, right? Mm -hmm. They were good at it. Right. So, and people could count on them for that, mm -hmm. but they weren't that inspiring. They weren't that open to the possibility <laughs> of what, what could be here. And so, so Makes people- Real inspirational leadership. <laughs> right. <laughs> so they say, well, how do I change that? Right? How do yeah. I change that? It's like, well, you know, it's, it's easy to say to somebody, be more optimistic. Mm. But if they if they grow up with the belief that the world is a dark and dangerous place, mm. they may not be that optimistic. Right. So you have to really confront that. Mm. And and sometimes what I find is that just knowing the paradoxes raises people's awareness. It's almost like a, 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 a whether it's IQ EQ whatever it might be. It's like wow, just an awareness that there's two parts to this dynamic. Right. And then in, and if I'm if I'm out of balance there's adverse impact right that's the idea and uh the, the reason for the paradox is it really focuses on how we grow yeah. and how to grow um because growth for one person is getting worse for another person yeah so if you tell an arrogant person to like themselves more they become more arrogant <laughs> <laughs> which may not have the effect they were looking for. Right, which wasn't quite what they were looking at to do. <laughs> so in, in leadership, so you've been working with leaders in organizations for 25 years. Uh, <clears throat> I have a feeling I know the answer to the question, but I'm curious, uh, is, is there a particular profile that's, you know, for a successful leader? Oh, it depends on what they're going to lead. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> which, which goes into this whole concept of suitability, right? Right. And, but, but again, if you're looking for a, a leader in society, you're looking for someone with a higher vision. You're looking with some, for someone with more clarity uh, in, in their life about what's a good direction to go for in society what's a healthy direction um but if you're looking for a leader in a, a simple company and the objective is to make the business grow um well there's certain things that you may need to do to do that but it's a different it's a different perspective um you know and it's it, it's like well let's just make the business work uh and it's you know, of course, you're going to have to have integrity in your relationships and, you know, uh, interact with the paradoxes generally in place, right, uh, will help will help even that leadership. But, you know, as you go into something that's more cause motivated or something that's more uh, where you're doing something that's more beneficial for society or whatever, then it's a bit different perspective. Uh, so depending on where your leadership exhibits itself, right? right. A startup, entrepreneurial organization or company, uh, a more mature company, 
or a nonprofit mm-hmm. or on the uh, political or, or social stage. Yeah, but you can say in all cases balance will be important. Right. So, you know, paradoxical balance will be an issue. And, of course, in any situation, you need to be more innovative, right? You need to be more balanced in yourself. You need to be more truth-thinking. That always helps. Right. Uh, you need to be able to have relationships connect with people at the same time hold them accountable all of those, all those things, things apply yeah. they'll just simply apply differently in different situations yeah. and to different degrees one of the things i see fairly consistently in in uh, senior level executives who are successful by the standards of their board or their you know chair or, or their uh, ceo of the company is being self-motivated is that if if you can take a look around and you can see what needs to be done and you can proceed without someone asking you or telling you that's a pretty important requirement for being able to be successful does that does that match your well you, you you'll get very few leaders who don't do that um because they don't last long <laughs> if they don't. <laughs> but, Someone uh, will pass them by. Yeah, but you'll uh, sometimes see people get promoted into leadership position that don't have that sort of self-motivation right. and initiative. Um, but even then, you usually have to have some of that in order to get promoted. The, right. Right. So it's uh, Kind of table stakes. Yeah, that, so that kind of takes care of itself. But the balance in that one is being able to manage stress and, you know, be people-oriented at the same time as task-oriented, there's your balance there, which that's where often people fall down. Or they often fall down in terms of the, the stress element, and they they get very o- overly stressed from yeah. being a leader. The, the stress, in a sense, overtakes them. Yes. And and it, it actually hinders their progress. Right. Uh, because... Right. People are uncomfortable around them. Well, also gets them to do all kinds of crazy uh, <laughs> behaviors that they probably wouldn't do otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we and we see that all the time. Yes, uh, I remember working with one team where the entire uh, it was a seven-person executive team, and the entire team scored very high in persistence. Mm. And when I did my you know diligence around working with that team. One of the things that came back was they had a reputation within the organization as they get after the work, mm-hmm. right? Stuff gets done. They mm-hmm. they implement, right? They're not sitting on their haunches here. Mm-hmm. Stuff gets done, mm-hmm. right? So you see that here, it, it builds on itself. If not everyone was like that, they could be lifted up by the others, right? right? But when everyone's like that, it was like, boy, their reputation was stellar. We get after the work, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I start. You start to see some anecdotal information about what works and what doesn't, right. and then different companies have different cultures, right? Right. If if, if the culture is you know win at all costs, and and uh, everyone has a high tolerance of bluntness, well, you know y- you need to be pretty forthright to get through to those folks, right? right? right. So there's cultural implications as well. Yeah, well, that's a good that's a good uh, example of win at all costs. Right. So you know the culture pushes this idea win at all costs, and pretty soon they discover oh there's some breaches of ethics here. <laughs> I wonder how that happened. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
you think it might have had something to do with this idea at all? Right. <laughs> so there are there are uh, conflicting ideals and contrary values in in all sorts of uh, organizations and in in the leadership mind, right? That people have to be able to hold all that together, and then yeah. People make some really odd choices sometimes, don't they? <laughs> yes. It's a different idea than make a win for everybody. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, growing it's up... Like build win-win relationships, right? No, win at all costs. <laughs> I remember... I remember um, uh, Nike uh, years ago had their... their, their um, mission or their vision or something, whatever, uh, was was to maximize profits for shareholders, mm-hmm. right? Right. And well, if that's your, if that's your mission, then right. that's pretty clear what you got to do, right? Right. And yeah. then, then- Cut those wages. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> We're wasting our money. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and maybe, uh, maybe move some people to part-time so that uh, we don't have to pay the healthcare costs, right? Right. right. And then, and then uh, I don't know that that's- necessarily nike but then nike shifted its mission and it became you know something about uh to help help athletes you know reach their peak performance and Mm. with an asterisk saying that if you have a body you're an athlete Mm. and that was a much broader look at things and Mm. completely 180 from maximized profits Mm. to shareholders interesting right so even even companies you know as storied as as they are can can evolve over time Mm. Or we hope so, anyway. Right. <laughs> hey, uh, I'm curious as we uh, start to wrap this up. This has just been wonderful. We once had a conversation about, you know, people talking about three-year plans, five-year plans, and organizations. And you said, "Yeah, we've got a 500-year plan." And uh, so I'm curious because, you know, as we talk about the psychology of evolution in this, and you keep referring back to that. Can you give us a little insight into the 500-year plan approach? Well, the 500-year plan is basically you do what you can in your life to have your impact on, you know, others, you know, uh, abilities, the best you can do to support other people in what you can do. And that goes on much longer than you actually think uh, that it does. So if you think about, okay, what are you doing in your life to impact other people and to create a positive influence uh, with other people, that goes on more than 500 years uh, because whatever that is has a trickle-down effect. I remember things that people have done for me and said to me that, you know, have fantastic impact on me in my life. And, you know, it, and it doesn't take much, you know, some, just some person is kind, you know, some university professor or, you know, somebody, you know, will be, you know, just a generous, kind person, supportive person, which then carries you through. And, and, and even at the time, you may not think about it. I mean, I, I have a friend, I hadn't seen him for 45 years. Wow. And I, I met him and, you know, I hadn't thought about it too much at the time, but I told him, you know, you just had this incredibly positive impact on my life. And, um, you know, you were just such a kind, generous person and, and you know, uh, and healthy-oriented person and at, at a time that really 
had an impact on me. And I never, I didn't even realize it until I'm much older. Wow. You know, so. Um, an unintended positive consequence. Yes. <laughs> but I think anything we do with really, you know, a good intent and consciousness about what we're doing has an impact. So when we do something that, you know, helps people to grow, like the work you do, for example, right. you work, you know, you work with people, you do the coaching. I, I mean, the impact on that just goes on and on. It goes to their relationships, to their kids. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it goes through. That's, that's 500 years. Easy. Easy. <laughs> <laughs> right, right there. Yeah. Um, and, and, I, and the reason why I say 500 years is because I think about it in terms of long-term human evolution. That's how I think it. I think of it. I don't think about, you know, how do I make the business work? Of course, that's part of my job. Right. But but I think about it. Okay, how do I have the impact? What's my mission? What do I do? What do I say to people when we're talking about strategy or whatever and what we do and we see different situations where you have to decide, well, what's the right thing to do? What's the ethical thing to do? What's the best thing to do in the relationships with the people that we have? And to the degree that we make good choices in those things has a better 500-year impact. Yeah. Beautiful. I'm going to take that, I'm going to let that just sink in and, and, uh, and appreciate that. And appreciate you for stopping by to... Uh, to participate in this podcast. My pleasure. Yeah, it was great fun. Thanks, yeah. Dan. <laughs>